0: Over the years, the decades or so, and the different places of my pastoral ministry, I've been asked a lot of questions. Some of those answers have been very easy to give. uh, Down your hall on the left. Others, well, simply have no easy answers. I always knew better than to share what I might have heard about someone else. And in my last church, I knew not to express my preference for the color of the new carpeting going into the sanctuary. I knew better than to engage in a dialogue about predestination as the prelude music began for the worship service. But on other subjects, my office door was always open, so to speak. I could have written an article and answered a very long bit about why we use different colors in the liturgical year during this regular year. And in fact, I have written articles about that. I often answered questions and discussed parts of our order of worship, including prayers of confession. That prayer in our order of worship tends to stir up a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, among the faithful, that prayer is part of our theology as Reformed Christians, but well, it can make us feel uncomfortable. Oh, I believe that we acknowledge, at least in general, that we are sinners, but well, we don't want to get into specifics. We are okay acknowledging a general falling short of the glory of God but that we have not been keen on specific sins being pointed out for us. We know we are not perfect, but well, let's just leave it right there. That parable in Luke is part of a series of parables about prayer. Today's reading is a story about two men who are at the temple to pray. Out loud, in front of everyone. Did I say out loud? Did I say in front of everyone, out in public? Oh, okay, that doesn't strike as much fear as it, do- it might in other people. Pastors are kind of okay with that. We are sometimes asked to pray out loud and in public, but when we do so, we are speaking for the community. We are praying for the moment in time. We are speaking to God on behalf of all. We are not bearing our personal souls for all to hear, especially the personnel committee. And of course, we pastors have heard more than our fair share of other people's confessions, indiscretions, sins of omission, We have understood the needs of others to unburden themselves, to clear their consciences, to get things off their chest, to begin the process, maybe, of making things right again. process of making things right again. Because a prayer of confession, if just left sitting there by itself, is rather meaningless. Oh, it shovels all of our sins into an ever more ugly pile. But if we do nothing with that confession, we might as well be no better off. Worship in our Reformed tradition includes an assurance of forgiveness. If scriptures galore, which teach us that of God's amazing love, and it includes that Christ died for us and that God will forgive. Yes, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, but that through Christ we are forgiven. We sing a song of praise, we continue our worship, but then what? What is our takeaway from worship and from our confession? Has our chalkboard full of sins been erased? Has the etch-a-sketch been shaken upside down? Has that week's file been deleted from the computer? Are we different in any way because of our worship experience? Jesus tells a parable and tells us that the Pharisee and the tax collector both went to the temple to pray, that we've no doubt heard enough sermons or sat in enough Bible studies to know that these two represented the extremes, the extreme ends of the spectrum of goodness and religious purity in that day. The Pharisee was supposed to be the model for others, following the law, a shining example. The tax collector was the antithesis, assumed guilty of everything, assumed unclean. He was part of the unacceptable crowd. But their prayers to God were as flavored as differently as were their lives. The Pharisee didn't really confess anything, if you noticed. He thanked God, normally a really good thing, thanked God that he was better than that other guy. His prayer was a list of his virtues while the tax collector got to the heart of the matter. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus' audience would have had no problem visualizing the two men in this parable and maybe even taking sides on the matter. But Jesus told them that it was the sinner, the tax collector who went home that day justified. It was the sinner who had been honest to God, who had recognized his own sin, who had humbled himself. His prayer had been heard. The virtues as taught by Jesus were humility and honesty. Humility among our companions in life and honesty With God. What do our prayers sound like? If and when we pray, even silently, are we building ourselves up? Or are we being honest to God and to ourselves? Jesus' caricatures of the Pharisee and the tax collector were, of course, the extremes. And none of us would land on either end of that spectrum. But the parable opens up the possibilities of the righteous still being in need of repentance and of the sinner getting more honest with God. And that in-between land is where we live. Yes, we are rather good people, And yes, we are sinners. We come to church and we practice the kingdom of God. We challenge, we have relationships with each other that we practice in order to be better in our relationships. As we practice this kingdom of God, we refine those relationships with each other with ourselves and with God. May we continue our practice being honest with God and honest with ourselves. Let us pray. Loving, gracious God, you hear our prayers spoken and unspoken. You hear us when we call out to you in pain and suffering, you hear us when we reach out to you in celebrations and joy. We pray that you would continue to hear us and guide us as we relate to others, showing your love to this world and showing our love to you. May we be honest in our prayers in our thoughts, and in our lives. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.